0: Welcome to The Frontline, the sales and marketing podcast. In this episode, we jump right in the middle of a couch conversation between myself, Avon Collis, a CRM and marketing automation specialist, Jeremy Pierce, sales trainer and coach, and Floris Block, a digital transformation consultant.
1: the, the, The main reason why I even got into my business and what I wanted to do was simply to help people. Mm. So the simple, uh, simple answer is to help other people, and that's the, the the whole entire reason why I want to do the podcast is if I can, the more people I can help, the more return I get as well, and that's just the bonus. Yep. Do you know what I mean? So I just want to be able to help other people in achieving their goals, in, in a, you know helping them. To grow their business and to sell products or services or whatever, and just impart my knowledge with other people. Mm-hmm. I guess the least selfless way of growing a business, or a business is to do these sorts of things. And it's, I think podcasts are a really good way of creating content, the simplest and easiest way to create content, I think. Well, you're
2: absolutely right. And, and the research is very clear. Uh, the more a company or a, a person or whatever actually shares knowledge, the more people would be uh, interested in understanding and, and learning more, but also they would then be more likely to hire the services of said company or person. Mm. That is an absolute fact. I mean, the, the the look at Spotify for example. They got into the podcast business because they could see it happening. Where well, has Spotify? Spotify. They they've been buying uh, podcast channels left, right, and center and then consolidating them all as, as Spotify material and Spotify content, which would then of course get more people hooked on their uh, platform, because you can listen to podcasts on Spotify.
0: Yeah. Well, they've done some interesting stuff around like charging in terms of what, from, on the music side. What they'll do is they've got, um, if you listen for 30 seconds, it'll start to charge, uh, oh, Sorry that. Listen for more than 30 seconds, that's when the artist gets the royalty. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. so the artists have been now been recording songs that only go for like 35 or 40 seconds, <laughs> so that you make it all the way through to, to see the end bit. So, uh, um, yeah, it's been changing the way people actually do music, which is interesting. So I'm wondering if if there would be something that has shaped the way people do podcasts, in that, I mean, most people think... Or, about, say, like the 20-minute the, the journey to work, so you're just having, uh, or the 20 or 30-minute journey, so like a lot of them about 15 to 20 minutes, some are maybe 40, depends where you live, if you're in Sydney, um, there was someone I was speaking to, they'll do an hour each way, so they get two podcast episodes in, in every drive, so I mean, part of it is like thinking about your audience and thinking about um, how that person is listening in terms of shaping how you structure and run your podcast as well.
2: Yep. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, in the UK, average commute time is one hour, mm. regardless. So that's the average commute time. You can easily get two podcasts. And, mm. and I used to uh, I'd go see my uh, my colleagues, John especially, and every morning he goes like, did you hear this podcast? Did you listen to that podcast? Did you? It's like, Chip, <laughs> I know yeah. you're sitting an hour in the car. I sit an hour and 45 minutes in the car, but I, I'm not listening to podcasts, uh-huh. but I should have. Um, So, definitely the way people are commuting now and the people are consuming content and the reason why they're consuming content has actually led to podcasts becoming uh, a very effective platform of conveying messaging and and a transfer of knowledge. Yes there is a, as you say, a selfless reason Mm. for doing it but there is also a business reason for doing it. Companies are doing it because it attracts people, it builds their credibility. It builds their uh, relationship with the audience, and the audience is more likely to uh, hire their services to solve X, Y, Z problem. Um, but for people from a consuming uh, content point of view, it's convenient.
0: Mm. Podcasts are convenient, but it's reflected across like every channel in the way that people shop now. Anyway, like you've got used to have like if you imagine a continuum, and at one point. Uh, people look at marketing and then become, uh, then they start need to interact with a salesperson or interact with the business in some way. Now people want to go further down the process on their own without talking to anybody before they actually start interacting with a person or with a, um, a sales representative or something like that. So it's like once upon a time you'd walk into, you know, Dick Smith when they're around and you'd, you'd say, sure. um, I want a camera, what have you got? And then they're, they're like, oh, we've got this one, it does this, we've got that one, it does that. And now you walk in and you go, oh, I want to see a Samsung this or a Nikon that, and um, uh, you can't tell me anything about it because I know them inside out and I've watched videos on them for an hour, and um, I know what they are. So, it's changed the way people, uh, or consumers and technology, has changed the way people interact with brands. So.
2: Well look at the um, i mean, on Twitter the other day I was looking at the statistics the uh, in the US now uh, the average time on a in front of a screen so whether it's a mobile phone or whatever but let's say it's a smartphone is 3.7 hours a day that's how much the average American consumes FaceTime or screen time 3.7 hours a day and a lot of that goes to uh, streaming you know the usual Netflix and chill, not chill, it's up to whoever. Um, but it's also, uh, as everyone just said, it is about doing the research, it is about doing the legwork. Previously, you're absolutely right, you go into a shop, tell me what you've got and you move away. But then people started getting on, uh, getting aware of the fact that whoever was recommending them the product was actually being incentivized to recommend the product. So there was no real unbiased advice being given in the sh- uh, given in the shops. Uh, I know from my Samsung days that when we used to train uh, shop representatives, there was heavy financial incentives in the background, whether through points and gifts and whatever. So people started getting maybe just like me a little bit cynical about things. So they started doing a lot of the research and you're absolutely right. You go on YouTube, you look at unboxing, you look at Mm. demonstration, you look at like... Look at the iPhone 11 uh, ads now on telly. It's all about how resistant and how strong that product is. It took about two generations to get away from bent gate. I don't know if you guys remember that. I think it was the iPhone 6 or 7 that people had in their pockets oh, and they yeah. used to bend and then, yeah. and not oh, yeah. get back to shape. So yeah. Now all of a sudden, the iPhone 11 is like the most resistant, bend proof type of product. And, and people are doing these research, and they're going online, and they're consuming that information. And, the, and then what you said in, in the previous engagement that we had with a client, um, you know, how you build content on the websites, like you take your product versus X, hmm. right? So you do your comparison content, and, and people are reading this, it's it's like Asana actually. versus Trello, uh, and mostly published by Asana.
0: And they're their own lead pages, and then you exactly. try and rank. Because like half the time when I'm trying to search for software for a client, um, I'll look at, you know, whatever their problem is, um, X management system or management software. And then I'll come up with something, so like project management software, like you said, Asana. And then I go, alternatives to Asana. And then I try and just get a big list of everything that's out there, do basically a matrix and work out what all the features are, what the client needs, what they, what's nice to have, have to have. Um, any kind of nuances that are particular, and then by by mapping out that analysis and, and doing those alternative two pages, you do have that biased information like from the um, from those companies that are doing those lead pages. But they can rank really high and beat every other um, uh, platform, or even just you know have it paid through ads, yep. and um, and they get pretty good results around that. Well, and what you were saying before about um, with the sales side. Doing your own research is important because, um, you know, my first job out of school, I mentioned Dick Smith before. I worked at Tandy, which was essentially Dick Smith as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, the we were driven by commissions, yeah. and so it was kind of like a fight to whoever got to the customer first, and then it was about getting a warranty upsell. Um, whereas now people don't people don't like to be sold. I mean, it still frustrates me if I go on VistaPrint and. Um, like seven times before I click to go to cart. I know what I want. I know what I'm there for. I don't want my business card printed on a mug because it looks weird. Um, <laughs> but they're building these little sales opportunities into the process. Yeah. Um, and as frustrating as it is, there's one thing that they do is like, we're about to delete the file that you put in there. Um, and it's purely a touch point. It's purely like uh, a month down the line, we want to remind you that you bought from Vistaprint and yeah. that you can order more stuff, and we want to incentivize a bit of risk in there that you might lose something that you spend time on. So yeah. get in there quick and buy some more. Yeah. So uh, A lot of the
2: onus, if you wish, has gone by choice, I think, by the consumer choice, has been moved upstream, assuming that, of course, the consumer is on the upstream.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but it has massively affected the way sales is being conducted. So, definitely in the shops, um, you cannot simply have a high rotation of young people come in, for example, and tell you, well, aisle 23 is where you'll find, let's say, mobile phones and aisle 26 is where you find uh, laptops. Because of the heavy uh, level of knowledge or strong level of knowledge that people come into the store with, and again, let's not forget that brick and mortar is not doing very well, so most people come into the store just to feel the product, touch and feel the product, and then they'll go back online and, and buy it they'll on, buy yeah. it online. So th- there's a massive responsibility for those brick and store shops to actually train their people because if they are not up to scratch, if they cannot give informed answers to the consumers, those consumers that are buying online, more than likely from either a partnership of those brick-and-mortar or their online e-commerce uh, venture they will lose that sale as well, so consumers have gone to the point where they have gone from Give me information because I'm ill informed to now I'm possibly overly informed and I'm going to test you because I'm going to see if you're worthy of my uh, dollars being spent in your store or platform or whatever, so
1: Jeremy from from a sales point of view have you noticed this big difference as well? Oh huge, 100 percent. The information age that we're living in has revolutionised the sales industry because everybody is an expert. They yeah. all have more knowledge than you about things that you're you know you're trying to sell and talk to customers about. So you really need to be you know more than just an expert on it. You need to be a master about whatever you're talking about, and um, it's it shows with all the training. Nowadays, it's not about trying to hard sell anybody. Um, I find it, I get more people to call me back and to buy my products Mm. calling me back, you know, not, and, you know, just giving them the opportunity to call me back when they want and not trying to, you know, pressure somebody into purchasing at a certain period of time you know, and it's all about education, becoming that expert, um, and if they, or if, what's called a trusted advisor, you get that trusted advisor position, and then they will buy anything off you, yep. and you don't need to pressure them into doing anything.
2: It's funny you mention that, because the way I'm looking at things now is that you've got extremely informed Consumers, you've got extremely informed uh, sales and sales reps and and whatnot. Um, you've got companies that are out there delivering content in order to try and gain people's attention and their business, of course, and their loyalty, etc. But there seems to be now a, a macro trend or a hyper micro trend that is all focused on one thing: the experience. Hmm. Right. So in yep. the industry we'll call it customer experience, but let, let's let's widen that up to as uh, wide a net as possible and it is about the experience. When you walk into a store,
1: when you go online, when you do X. And really experience is the front line or the marketing end of yeah. know, advertising and marketing end of a business. Absolutely. I
2: mean look at it from a, a pyramid point of view, you've got Well, maybe not a pyramid, but you've got different types of experiences. You've got the experience with the brand, you've got the experience from a customer point of view, and that takes into account the entire customer journey. Uh, Then you've got the UX, which is the uh, user experience on a specific platform, for example. Let's say your user experience with Excel is different than your customer experience with Office 365, and that's a completely different experience uh, as, uh, from your brand experience with Microsoft right and then of course then you've got the user interface which is where every button is on the screen so you can drill down and drill out and scope and de-scope how, as much as you like but it all comes back to the experience we are as a species I believe now as, as society in society and a, from a cultural point of view we are very time poor we have Bad very... time management Is that yes what you're that That would be a synonym of it, <laughs> yeah. but it all depends on the personalities and everything. But let's say we we have very little attention to give, and we've got lots and lots and lots of organizations trying to get our attention as well. So there's this constant fight between giving our attention and and and, and getting something back for it. Let's call it time poor for now, but they I mean, we can probably do an entire podcast on time management, especially yeah. with an automation expert
0: sitting F- over there. Facebook have um, uh, a role description, which is <clears throat> attention engineer. <laughs> so basically someone who, you know, like pokies, when they flash and they're like, woohoo, you win. It's the same thing, yeah. but they're just putting it on your phone.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so it all comes back down to the experience. And if the experience is not good, regardless of what it is, whether it's B2B, b to c whether you're in store online on the phone it, it doesn't really matter whether you're even going into a boardroom to have a meeting or do a pitch if if you're coming in and you've got a really bad feeling about for example the people that you're pitching with and and you've got a really good product and all of a sudden there's this interest from multiple parties you're gonna probably go with the one that actually made you feel good right. when you're pitching right so it's not just about customer experience the experience in general bec- is becoming
0: Extremely important. Well, eighty-three percent of people will pay more for a better customer experience, but only one percent of people uh, report actually having a consistently good customer experience. Yeah. So, either charge more, be better with your people, <laughs> be better with your customers. Mm. I mean, that is
2: an absolutely mind-boggling statistics. Only one percent, one percent report a consistent.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, about sixty. Oh, 65 67 percent of companies are now reporting that their main focus is shifting towards customer experience so a lot of industries will uh, are moving towards that particularly when you know when you've got people like um, Telstra I know it sounds a little bit ironic <laughs> um, <laughs> Telstra and um, virgin and um, you know clean Away, all these ASX listed companies that name a ton of others but you know, they're implementing things like Salesforce and from a CRM perspective, you know, you say that it's not about <clears throat> getting the sale and, you know, driving it home and forcing them to make a decision. Mm-hmm. It's about allowing them to uh, be ready. So what do you need to show them? When do you need to show them? How do, you, how do you help them make a decision that's favorable to you? So, you know, you say, I want to sell you um, or I'm not here to sell you X. I'm here to help you make a decision. When you buy or don't buy, doesn't affect me. Um, but I want to give you all the answers and, and dispel any questions that you might have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's how I frame a lot of my conversations when talking about implementing a CRM system is, you know what, it does? It, it might cost a lot of money to implement, but you're going to save money on the back end with the staff. Or you, you might take a bit of time and, and energy and effort in the front end and it might be a little bit difficult to, to do, but you're going to get the, the value at the back end and here's some calculation tools. But, you know, if you want, there's there's some other options. and, and uh, but um, if you want to meet again, here's a book and meeting link. So you, you kind of put the ball in the court, but without seeming forceful or, or, or pushing them no. that way. Well, funny you mentioned that because in the article that you sent me yesterday, sorry,
2: in the assignment that you sent me yesterday, you were basically saying that uh, in order to calculate the value of a CRM system, usually you have a mixed team of experts in there, of which one of them is an accountant. Hmm. I mean, uh, uh, without going into the, the details to support what you're saying, accountants have actually demonstrated, right, through, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, uh, you know, when you do scientific method. Uh, oh, um, uh, yeah, like qualitative or quantitative analysis? No, anyway, it'll come back to me. Uh, and so they, they've been able to demonstrate and prove through mathematics and, and accounting principles that a CRM is actually extremely effective. And there's a high return on the investment when you actually implement the CRM, and so it comes back down to yes, absolutely right. Implementing a CRM is important for a business, but the objective of the CRM is uh,
0: better customer relationships.
2: Exactly. So here we come back to the to the, to the same point that we've been talking about which is the experience and the experience is based on that relationship that you've got with the customer. So without that relationship, without understanding your customers and how they operate and what it is they want, or what problems they have they would like you to solve with your products or service, um, the jobs to be done in, in, a, in a, from a, a value proposition point of view. Um, It it, it is all about understanding the customer and their needs and responding to them. There's no point, for example, building uh, a car with 26 wheels if someone just needs to drive, for example, their kids from home to school. They don't need 26 wheels, right? Or they simply need a transportation method. So in Holland, for example, now they've got small electric bathtubs, Mm. or it looks like bathtubs. Yes, there was a small accident nine kids died, <clears throat> unfortunately. Mm. But now they've been recertified with seatbelts and everything. And it's all a question of culturally in Holland, public transport is extremely important, bicycles, etc. Pooling resources in Holland is also very good. So they put nine kids, one parent, takes nine kids to school from the neighbourhood, from the building, from the neighbours, or, or whatever. I'm more interested
0: in the one that's like a pub. On wheels. Yes, <laughs> that is. Uh, uh, the only thing is, towards the end, people get less interested in peddling <laughs> and more in drinking.
2: Uh, there have been stories where some of these have actually ended up in the canal, but that's a different story. <laughs> but so, again, it's about the experience, right? So, and, and, and that's highly sponsored by the Council of Amsterdam because it brings people in. Because it gives them a really good experience. They're out drinking, so that's VAT or GSC if you wish. Um, and and the the pubs are making money. The uh, it's tourism, tourism, which is good for for the uh, for the city council and for the country itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, even uh, Schiphol Airport uh, gets a, a cut out of it. Everyone's mm-hmm. happy right? So we
1: can see you've got a lot of uh, you've got a lot of expertise in customer experience, then, Floris. So um, I guess we can talk about your backstory or. Who, who, who are we talking to here? Well, <laughs> uh, customer <clears throat> experience, is it? Well, look,
2: in, in my point of view, yeah. Okay. So from a background point of view, I've done, I've done, you know, I've worked in larger organizations, Canon, Nikon, Target, Samsung. Um, and I've worked in marketing and product marketing and, and it has given me in, immense opportunities for me to learn, learn quite a lot, uh, in a corporate environment, albeit, yes, a company like Samsung, which has, 150,000 plus employees, it's not exactly a, a startup, right? Uh, it used to be back in the 60s, and it started with actually uh, one, one firm. A one corporate
1: environment is just a high process-driven non-corporate environment. It's really the same, but just very process driven. If that makes sense. Yeah,
2: but it, but that's the thing. Not all processes actually work in corporate, <laughs> and then that's the
1: Correct. that's the irony of it
2: as well, which is you've got lots of processes, and you're another number uh, mm-hmm. implementing yeah. and executing these processes,
0: but they're not necessarily good ones. Well, yeah. Well, it becomes all about uh, governance and processes because at some point, um, you know, as a CEO, you're not going to meet all of your staff. No. Um, you're not going to know them by name, you're not going to know when their holidays are coming up and what, no. what their dog's name is. So having these systems is kind of like a business is a system of systems. Mm-hmm. So being able to bring them all together and structure them and automate as much as possible and reduce uh, error rates and all that sort of stuff is probably the really the only way you can go at scale. Well, I mean, I look at corporates as an equivalent
2: to manufacturing, right, because compliance and governance and, and, and processes they're actually put in there in order to replicate activities and and what's more replicable than what you do on a on a production line right so mm-hmm. yes a corporate i Maslow's think Maslow's
1: hierarchy of
2: needs and the uh, division of labor exactly you're absolutely right but also to your previous point it i mean a large corporate isn't it is not basically a non corporate environment with the rules right governance processes and, mm-hmm. and not necessarily good ones again I, I say some companies have actually made it uh and and they've been successful at it others have uh, some progress to, to make some improvements along the way but it doesn't matter look in my uh for me anyway the experience has been extremely positive in the sense that i yes i've done a business management uh qualification, uh, uni uh, diploma and all that, fantastic. I've done an exchange program between Holland and France and and, and culturally I speak five languages and I've lived in, in eight different countries and changed addresses 20 times. All of that is fantastic, but it has given me the opportunity to learn and learn and learn and constantly keep learning, which is why from a customer experience point of view, even from a marketing point of view, continuous improvement is essential because today's customers' needs are not tomorrow's customers' needs. And they sure as hell are not what they used to be 10 years ago, Mm 5 years ago, 3 years ago, or even a year ago, Mm -hmm. things change. And so that continuous improvement and the background that I've got has actually led me to make that one of the essential things that i like to talk about but also like to work on and help people with, which is you need to constantly be improving so that your experience or the experience that you're offering your customers is as good as it can be so people keep coming back. Right? you want to create that stickiness, that brand loyalty, whatever you want to call it. You want people to come back because ultimately, you want their dollars. But you're offering them something that will actually do something good for them and help them solve the problem. But you're not a charity. You're in it for the money as well.
0: Well businesses are being well, customers are being less and less loyal to, to businesses. And um, the you know being up. the more you focus on trying to build that loyalty, um, you're, you're gonna hopefully reduce your overall marketing costs as well so yes
2: and, and this is why I, I would imagine in your line of work in from a marketing automation point of view that when you have that lead nurture mm-hmm. uh, campaign and, and processes it is about reducing costs but it's also about maximizing the efficiency mm-hmm. of your messaging in order to achieve a greater return
0: yeah well I mean, I've seen a lot a trend towards more one to one personal messages. Like it's less about here's our shiny catalog, um, and more about um, hey, you know we stuffed up, we made a mistake, or you know where uh, I want to know a bit more about you, um, and and doing that real personal one to one connection. I received an email the other day from a, a software platform, and it was uh, it was like. There was no images, there was no buttons, no flashing things for me to, to click on and it was simply, hey, um, uh, I'm new, I'm the new marketing manager and this is my first go at sending an email out to 700,000 people. Kind of scary, hope I don't stuff it up. Mm-hmm. And then it led the into... Honesty. Yeah. To
1: really, it grabs attention.
0: It know. made me read the rest of the email and yeah, it was quite long, but I read it all. And um in a world where you just go delete 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 scroll 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 white noise white noise yeah this one resonated human to human person to person so yeah. it's about having those one-to-one um, marketing relationships emotional connections really and uh, at scale yeah. Yeah. at scale that's yeah at scale yeah that's the tricky part and and like you said it is constantly evolving so I mean you can create an evergreen process and have um, you know three or four steps. And then for each individual, it's right for them. So, like, uh, I sent a message out the other day using a um, a chatbot. And um, my client just wanted to know, uh, wanted to get people towards his Adelaide store. And so, in order to figure out what was, uh, who was in Adelaide, I went onto the chat. I sent out a broadcast and saying, hey, which which store are you near? Um, I'd like to send you something. And then I had, uh, you know, Adelaide, Brisbane, um, Neva. So depending on what they clicked. So if it was um, Adelaide, then they got a a discount code that they could use in in that store um, with some other little conversation. Um, If it was in Brisbane, same. If it was online, then they got an online code. But each of those allowed me to tag them. So now I know who's in Adelaide, and next time I have um, something that's specific to that region. I can I can just target those individuals, hey, last time you mentioned you were in Adelaide, um, I thought this would be useful for you. So would it be fair to say, sorry, just to jump on a
2: different topic, but so would it be fair to say that uh, one of the objectives of the CRM is to know as much of our customers as we possibly can so that we can segment them into buckets that we can then do, as you say, one-to-one communication with but at scale.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so we so you've got different types of target market analysis, and usually big companies will pay um, someone to do things like, um, like McDonald's might do research and they'd pay someone to go and, uh, or like fifty people to anonymously go and buy a particular item, rate how it, uh, what the customer service was like and what the food was like, uh, the kinds of people that they dealt with or saw in the cafe or in the restaurant, um, so that's one way of doing analysis but you want to try and get your customers to give you as much little insights as possible like uh, the time of day they come in um, the the um, their
1: mindset when they walk into the store um of so those buttons everywhere and like, Yeah. like you know, the happy the happiness buttons and yep. the surveys that I'm getting on software all the time yep. how are you today yeah smiley faces
2: but exactly and and that you should not have more than five buttons <laughs> right, So yeah. you've got your neutral one, you've got two on either side, five buttons, So you've got extremely disappointed, disappointed, happy, sorry, neutral, happy, very happy. Uh, you see them at airports as well, when you come out of the yeah. toilets as well, then you're pressing red, green, or yellow, amber, or whichever colors. It, Feedback. Absolutely. Everywhere.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Um, but then you, you can draw other inferences from that data, like if you try and just say, are they happy or sad, that's not enough, mm-hmm. what you need to try and do is say, There was a marketing campaign four weeks prior, how many people, did we see a spike in people actually leaving any form of feedback in relation to that? Because um, that might have driven something that changed an emotion in the people, like it was a really heartfelt campaign, does it make them really happy immediately after that or in a period of time after that? Like I I got an Aldi catalogue the other day and it was um, the Black Friday uh, sale, but the catalogue starts on the Wednesday, so it's open for that whole week. They have got these every week. But they would have had to think about this way back, like six to 12 months ago, because they had all the the graphics done in the catalogue. They had um, all the products were black to to, to match with Black Friday. So, I mean, half of them are off the shelf, like a black TV or a black um, toaster. But um, some of them would have had to have been specially made in the product cycle. So they've mapped the product cycle to the advertising cycle to the content generation to the actual event being in the store. And that, as a customer experience, all the way back in the chain, uh, really paid off for me. It wasn't lost on me at all. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, it's pricing and all that aside, that, you know, it, all these elements come together. And they've got research and data on that, on how effective that's working for them.
2: Yeah, but you're looking at it, sorry, Jeremy, you're it's looking right. at it from sure. a critical eye because you're in the business. Yeah. If you are your average consumer mm. who's not, for example, marketing expert or even related to marketing, you're mm. looking at it, going like, oh, that's coincidental. It's Black Friday come Friday. And I've got, uh, you know, I kind think, of that I says I can buy chan. all this. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, exactly. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, in, in my days, I remember at Canon, for example, when I was doing uh, mail order catalogs, uh, working with the likes of Liraco and, and Office Depot, etc. And I basically had to have anywhere between six to nine months lead time on the development of a yearly catalog. Yeah. And then Lireco kind of sort of like changed their business model. They had the yearly catalog, and then they had quarterly catalogs as well. And then because I was working on a Europe, Middle East, and Africa basis, I had 70% of that product selection was European fixed or from regional HQ. Mm -hmm. And then every country had another 30% of product selections that was local to the market. So trying to combine all of that, I mean, internally from a process point of view, it was as complex as the budgeting process of an organization of that size. You know, when you're working on a a two-year uh, fixed forecast, and then uh, two years of, uh, you know, finger in the air. How many numbers are we gonna sell? Yeah,
0: and then you do, and then you've got to do like country specific, um, uh, for the the content. like, yeah. You know, like uh, IKEA catalogs, they edit out the woman in the kitchens and mm-hmm. in the bathrooms um, because they're not allowed to show it. Yeah. So, do you find, uh, from a, a sales perspective, that
1: this customer experience stuff makes your job easier? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the marketing is the key, the number one key now to, to drive leads, right? Mm. So if the customer is more educated along the path, then one, it makes our job easier, mm. and two, we're actually able to do our job because the, they, they already have the knowledge that they are required to have um, so they're more qualified. so you know you don't have to do as much qualification. Mm. you can um, just continue that. Um, but it doesn't matter where you are along that stage with that, that journey for the customer you can you can still be able to educate along the way and just reassure, confirm their existing you know all their experience like all their information that they've already been discussing but putting it like in a human touch mm. right and that, Confirms everything that they've been, you know, already been researching. So, how can how can a how can a small business? I think I think a lot of viewers of this specific podcast might actually be more so like small business, um, you know, sole trading kind of uh, viewers. I think how would they benefit from, uh, you know, when you're looking at branding, I guess, marketing strategy. Mm. For, from Aldi, how can they benefit from something that they're doing, something like that? Um, yeah, so I think that um, a lot of the core
0: concepts are becoming more and more accessible with all the kinds of software tools that are out there that are uh, either got a freemium or they're 10 bucks a month or, or something like that. So I think you know, big businesses are big because they get this, these things right. So there's nothing stopping the small business from doing exactly the same. That chatbot thing I was talking about, they're still on the free plan. So as long as you can um, put together a series of conversations and understand what those conversations are going to be, sh- should be, I think people are actually ma- making a shift from big business, you know, they see institutions yep. and big corporates and, and it's like the evil corporations. And I want to help Decentralisation of these big corporations. And, and the, the sales people, such as is your, your, your experience level, yeah. um, they're a huge part of that whole marketing picture. When someone walks up to you in, uh, let's say, I'll use my Dick Smith example, and goes, hey, what do you want? Yeah, it's crap, right? Oh, yeah. It's really, really bad. But if they walk up and go, hey, how are you going? Um, Dick come- Smith being an electrical change. If anyone, <laughs> anyone doesn't know what uh, <laughs> Dick Smith is anymore, they are kaput ca- and bust. <laughs> so for businesses that... Uh, so that might be not, not a good not example. <laughs> but they, they maybe didn't keep up with the trends. Yeah. So, um, but like cafe for example, you know, like you, you walk in and you're like, what, <laughs> you're going to have a really bad customer experience.
2: Funny you mentioned that, another parent of the school my kid goes to, um, the cafe right across the street uh, from the school which is halfway between her and the house, yeah. her house, uh, she stopped going there because the guy had a go at her from, so the owner from across the uh, the, the kitchen over the, uh, the counter had a go at her because she was asking a question about her loyalty card. You know the four uh, get four uh, buy four coffees get the fifth one for free type of loyalty card, right? And he had a go at her. She stopped going, and literally that cafe is on her way from her house to the school where she walks ten months a year.
0: I so that guy
2: lost a customer because he had a go about a loyalty point that she actually was justified in uh, in
0: asking for. I had someone come to me, um, and. they got rejected from another cafe because they were on their phone while they're at the register uh, or like talking on the phone and like, I'll have a long black. And then they'll get back on the phone. Yeah. Um, but when they were standing in front of me, they um, I'd just wait because they're asking the person on the phone if they want something. So you actually get more sales. And two, like, yeah. it's, it seems like it's just an every, everyday part of things. It's like buying a bus ticket. You know, it's just something you, you do. It's not necessarily... Like you as the business owner or whatever probably aren't the most important thing in their day. You're just a function of what they need to do to get by. Yeah, 100%. So understand where they're at, what, they're, what their attitude is when they're coming into the store and support it in a way. So having those engagements and, and where you can, you know, we're talking about automating I right? here I am talking about real face-to-face interactions. Yeah. But from a salesperson's perspective, if, um, you know, like from the CRM side, if you could do a bit of white space analysis and they're on the phone and they say, um, this is what uh, the, uh, you've got. I can see there's a gap here. Maybe this this product might interest you, or whatever. There's there's a white uh, being able to suggest other products. There's being able to go right. Well, most people, because everybody wants to be in most people. Um, most people uh, do this, or they get the add-on service, or something like that. So there's a huge part in the marketing that occurs there. Uh, uh, uh. Absolutely agree with you, but before I forget, because I've got several things
2: running <laughs> my mind, I would, I'd like to say. But to go back to your questions, like how does, for example, big corporate experience um, uh, relate to, for example, SMBs? Well, first of all, I think, and we kind of touched on that subject previously, which is if it weren't for the larger organizations, that would have actually driven, in part, yeah, uh, driven all of these advances in marketing uh, methodologies and strategies and 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 processes processes yeah. etc the vendors that are currently now offering as Avon said for like 10 bucks a month uh, these softwares for any smes yeah. to, uh, to to take advantage of would not have actually been able to create those softwares on the basis of these you know marketing principles that have mm-hmm. been developed in those large corporate environments so That's i where think they came
1: from yeah. exactly yeah, so, so i would say
2: there's a huge benefit of having you know, let's call them the evil corporations, in some cases they're not, but let's call them uh, corporations, there's a lot of benefit that has been able to, let's say, democratize uh, the marketing principles to SMBs through the provision of those solutions by vendors like Zoho, Infusionsoft, Keep, etc. Et so that's the first point. Second of all, there's, as Avon said, there's absolutely nothing preventing, for example, Uh, small organizations from taking these principles and running with them yes at a lower scale yes a bit more resource constraint in terms of the people doing it but a perfect example was my garage door was busted and so the guy who came in to fix it took unfortunately a long time to fix it because a part was missing anyway It took about a month and a half to fix but apparently the guy was extremely busy so I was here I am standing, you know, trying to plug my services, maybe trying to help him, because I thought there was a long lead time, thinking maybe he is not operating efficiently, uh, and, and I wanted to present the services of Avon as well to him, and then he turns around and says, actually, no, my wife used to work for a large corporate, she quit her job, she's now my marketing manager, and I've got too much work, <laughs> <laughs> and why? Mm-hmm. Because she actually implemented the CRM system. Yeah. Hmm. Right, so she's been able to actually gather the information, do the, the the whole, you know, know your customers, segment the customers, do the marketing campaigns, do some direct mailing, do a bit of search engine optimization, have a Google, uh, have a website, have your website re- reviewed on Google, all of these things that any SMB can basically do. It requires a lot of time, yes, and and a lot of time to do it after a working day. So. It requires commitment and, and dedication to do it after hours.
0: I think the but key But it's part, possible. I think the key part missing is the education in in all of it. Yes. Because there's lots of little things that come together, and everyone goes, "Yeah, I'm going to do this one thing. I'm going to build a website. Well, wow, that's great. Uh, yeah, you build a glossy magazine, you shove it in the in the in the shelf, but no one sees it. What's the point? So you've got to first, you've got to. Build it, it's, and it's not if you build it they will come. You have to build it, then you have to promote it, then you have to frequently talk about it, and bring some other things, elements in together, and it, it has to be mapped to something else. and And it's not like the, the the hardest thing to do. It's just a number of things that have to be done together. And you, if you do a plan, and if you do, uh, if you chip away at it, you get it done, and it'll it'll start working for you. And yeah. the last point I wanted to make was um, you mentioned about the the bean counters before being part of the. Um, the the <laughs> process. Um, in a report from Deloitte, seventy um, percent of Australian businesses don't have a CRM, and ninety-five percent of um uh, It's a big market for you. It yeah. is, yeah, Ninety-five yeah. percent that implement one experience benefits. Yep. And if there's only like um, there's only like one percent of all businesses are large corporates, like the rest are all small business. So why are they is small that a statistic? I think percent? It's percent, two percent, actually. Sorry. 20%. Yeah, nine. 96 or 98. I, I'm not a I'm not a walking dictionary, but um, <laughs> they uh, yeah, it is a huge huge portion of the market is just small businesses. Yeah. So um, not everyone needs, needs to be ASX listed. Not everyone needs to be that big, but they're that big because they follow up. They they know who their customer is. Mm-hmm. They try and talk to them regularly, and they call them back.
2: I think the last point we should talk about, because I think we're running out of time here a little bit, but I think the last point we should talk about is the one thing that ties everything together. And I know this word is hyperly overused, but I'm going to say it anyway. Strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you're going for synergy. <laughs> no, no, that's that's, that's like early <laughs> noughties uh, years. No, uh, the strategy, I think... Like, in, in one previous engagement, I remember putting a strategy together and someone looked at it and go like, yeah, but I don't see the font number and the font color. Mm-hmm. That's not a strategy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, the 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 important thing and, and the point is, and I think we should have an entire podcast on that subject, and, and uh, uh, there's so much to discuss, and it really fires me up even more so than about marketing, etc. is that... Once you have a strategy, and again, if you look at strategy from a corporate point of view, it does not mean a 26,000-page document detailing every single action by every single employee and making sure that you audit every employee number and and put it into a a project management. No, no, no. We're talking about very simply saying, what is the outline of what you're trying to
1: achieve and how you're going to achieve it. Well, there's a book, $100 Startup, that gives you a two page business plan to start your business. There you so go. So it's much the same. There you it go. We've got. It doesn't a, need to be overly complicated strategy, but it needs to be there. You're absolutely right. In one of the
2: network uh, building uh, uh, groups that we go to, there's one guy that actually does
1: it in a one pager. Yeah. Right? Business plan on a one small page. page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, two pages. It's two small booklet <laughs> pages, so you could definitely just. You're absolutely right. One, A4 or yeah. one, A3. Yeah, well, one it A four, one A three.
2: But but it, it, it is exactly that, and and you look at, for example, the uh, the Strategizer, which is uh, uh, an outfit based out of uh, Switzerland, and these guys have a lot, a lot, a lot of free resources on their website. From value proposition canvases to model uh, business model canvases, etc., etc.,
0: etc. HubSpot has a phenomenal amount of stuff on its, yes, uh, yeah. it's blog. it. Yes, on their blog, it is ridiculous. I think I googled like how to fix my tap, and it was on there. Like, <laughs> no, not no. not actually, but you, you get the idea. It's yeah. just, um, and they've got this thing, this concept they call the um, the flywheel, which is basically just have people coming around and around and around back to your site and looking at your content. So yeah. they very very content heavy. Um, I think you know you can redraw the sales funnel all you want, but the yeah content gets people to
1: to where you're yep. at. I mean, how did you want? How did you guys want to finish this off? Like um, today, I think we just do a high five and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, job well done. <laughs> yeah.
0: You have been listening to the Sales and Marketing Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and hope to see you again soon on the front line.